0: Welcome to the Encounter YA podcast, helping young adults follow Jesus. Here are your hosts, Garrett Cars and Annika Carter.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Today we are diving into 1 John chapter 3. Be sure to check out our previous two episodes in the series and the messages in our For the Love of God series on our YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
0: We're so excited that you joined us today. The next section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at is in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-15. through 15. So if you would, let's open up God's Word, and let's read this together to see what we can find out and how God wants to speak through us. It says this, starting in verse 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He may take away our sins, and that in Him is no sin. No one who lives in Him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen Him or known Him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as He is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Oof. <laughs> yeah. So I think we read stuff like this, and I'm, and then I re- immediately regret. Why did we do a series on First John? <laughs> because some of this is really hard. But I think if you unpack it, and that's what we're going to try to do. I think it really makes sense. And at first glance, it kind of there's a few things that kind of stand out um, to me. But I think overall, if as I've been studying it, it kind of everything really melds together really well, and you kind of get the gist of what. John is saying here at the in chapter 4 or sorry in chapter 3. So he opens up he opens up this chapter and he talks a little bit more about love and children of God and he did a little bit of that in in verse 2 but this seems to be I think the transition of of the of the letter towards like hey God is love God is God that's who he is and he really starts to kind of unpack this in chapter 3 and we'll see in chapter 4 and 5 he does that a little bit more. But right here, he really, excuse me, opens it up by talking about, um, he kind of uh, points to the, the love the Father has for us. And I, I thought this quote was really good. It says this, the author begins his parentheses by u- urging his readers to recognize the greatness of the love of God. How great is the love of the Father has lavished on us us. So he kind of transitions, right? He's been talking about um, pushing back on false teaching. He's been talking, he's kind of been wrestling with this. And then it seems like he transitions over to start saying like, hey, let's let's take a deep breath, focus in on God's love for us. Mm -hmm. So it's just really interesting to me, I think, that this is a really big, like, kind of transition, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. And then he talks about us being called children of God. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about just that adoption. Like God has adopted us as his children, and we see that in other passages of Scripture as well. But this is what the author is trying to get across. Like You have been loved greatly by your Father, even though you've rebelled from him, even though you have um, walked away from a relationship with him. He's saying, look how big his love is. To be able to to send His Son to die the death we deserve, to be hung on the cross, to be raised from the dead, He's saying, like, let's take a minute to see what great love the Father has on us. And so He starts talking about children of God, and what does that actually look like? And I think it's really interesting because um, as He transitions away from that, as He says, as children of God... um, What should we look like? And he's saying that we should become like Christ. And so, and then he says, like, when we see him, when he returns, we'll be just like him because that's it's kind of like this picture of, like, hey, here's your children, you are young in the faith, you're growing in your faith, but if we continue to look at Jesus, we'll become more like Jesus. And and upon his return, we'll end up looking just like him. And so, it's kind of this. Huge like here just in a couple verses, uh John really says, Focus on God's love, look at Jesus, and that's who you'll become. It's like this kind of visionary statement at mm-hmm. the beginning of, of this chapter. Did anything stand out to you as as John kind of opens this this chapter up?
1: Um, I think that just one thing that I think is important to remember when we're talking about that adoption, which you like you said it, but just to hyper focus on sure. like the the now the here and now part of it i think um it's important to remember like christ has called us his children now and not just later for one day yeah. when he returns but that john is really portraying that like okay this outpouring of love means that you will pursue and act in love like christ because you're his children now he didn't yeah. adopt you for the future he adopted you for now to live life for him yeah. and that um or kind of urgency that paul or john kind of alludes to throughout this entire um, all three letters really. Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think it's hard. We kind of lose a little bit of the symbolism of adoption because in the first century, um, the Jewish, like before the first century, before Jesus, it was only Israel who was called the children of right. God. And so for John, who's, right. who is Jewish, to write to people who are Gentiles, who are non-Jewish, who mm-hmm. are people outside of the of the Jewish faith, to say, hey, you are actually children of God. You've been brought into the family of God. It's kind of this big, huge thing, like kind of mind-blowing thing yeah. for a lot of people. And I think we lose a little bit of that. Like we are Gentiles. <laughs> We're right? not part of Israel, but we have that right to be adopted by the Father. And so just this really cool kind of opening um, and invitation say, hey, we are mm-hmm. children of God. Let's continue to live like that. And then at, at verse 3, It's interesting, right, because it says we have to—it says, let's look at Jesus. We'll become like him. And then it says, all who have hope, in this hope in him, hope in Jesus, it says they purify themselves just as he is pure. So it's kind of uh, this—I wrote down in my notes, like, it's an invitation to sanctification. And Mm -hmm. um, so—and I think that word, right, sanctification is kind of a big churchy word, really— um, but simply what sanctification means is that we become more and more like Jesus. Like mm-hmm. we progressively become more like Jesus. And that's exactly what he's talking about, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, at we at when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is. And then he says that it's kind of our job to help purify ourselves. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, I think it's actually a role of the Holy Spirit to help us live more like Christ. And so I think, a lot of times this verse gets kind of taken out of the context and it and it's like this really harsh sentence mm-hmm. where it's like, you have to be pure. There's no, like, there's no grace. There's nothing like that. But in the context of this verse he's saying, hey, when we're becoming more like Christ. So it's an invitation to becoming more like Jesus. That's simply it. Like, look at Jesus. Yeah. His life was pure. And so therefore, it's our responsibility to live like Jesus.
1: Yeah. Something that I love about um in my Bible, my translation is just a hair different that I really like the verbiage. Um, So I'll start at like to be and then read What's through What's the 3. translation? Uh, it's NLT. Okay. So to be, um, but we do know that we will be like him for we will see him for who he really is. And all who have this eager expectation mm. will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. I love that eager expectation. I think that's, that's a really good. great. Um, like little description of that invitation like right. that puts action to the words um, the end in, into the invitation of of sanctification I think that's just a beautiful little picture there
0: yeah I like that and that's a really descript a really good description of hope mm-hmm. like that's what hope is you know, like that eager, that eagerness. And yeah. where we desired Christ to come back. And in the meantime, we have a job to continue to to purify ourselves, to live a pure life. So, and then he kind of transitions it almost like, hey, we're living like Christ. And then for me, um, verses four through six are really just a reminder of the gospel. And so mm-hmm. it talks yeah. about, it really is just like this section of saying like, hey, um, if you're children of God, then this is the life we're called to live, and then it's like this reminder of of where sin comes from, mm-hmm. um, that Jesus didn't have any sin, and so that and that is one of the teachings that I think that um, he's kind of pushing back on that Jesus did live a pure life, he lived a righteous life, um, and I think that's even one of the teachings today that there are people that would say like Jesus did sin, he did struggle yeah. with sin, he he wasn't the perfect. And so we have to be careful when we hear stuff like that. Um, but then he gives us invitation at the end of verse six and it says, um, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. And so I think, um, Again, this isn't like a verse that's saying you have to be perfect. Right. And we talked about that in in the at the beginning of the book in at encounter. We said this is like there's so much grace in this. Mm-hmm. There, but there's this invitation, and it's actually freeing for us to know that we don't have to keep on sinning. Like there's a life away, far away from sin that we can live. And so, just really, is I think that. Um, it's a reminder of the gospel. So, like one has us remi- reminds us that we all have sin. <laughs> we all have missed the mark. Mm-hmm. We're all sinners. We all struggle with sin. Jesus came. He rescued us from the power of sin. And so, the reminder is: if Jesus came to rescue us from sin, then why should we continue to live in that sin? Right. And so, I think that there really here there's an invitation um, to a different life and one that's marked by by freedom from sin. Mm-hmm. And then he and then he kind of transitions, I think, into verse seven. So he kind of pushes back on some false teaching, and he says, "Do not let anyone lead you astray." And then it says, "The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous." So I think for me, it looks like in verse three, there's an invitation to sanctification. Verse four through six, there's a reminder of the gospel, and then verse seven, there's another invitation to sanctification. Yeah. So we see this, and it's just so interesting to me. It's like the one who does right is like the righteous one, Mm -hmm. and so just again, it's this invitation to a different life, a life of righteousness, a life of freedom from sin. And so I just love. I don't know. For me, I've never really seen it like that. But just how he wrapped the gospel. Um, and an invitation to sanctification, invitation mm-hmm. to say, hey, you have an opportunity to live right. and a I think different it's life. It's
1: cool because it's like that's a little bit different than like obviously John's written gospel because he's writing to believers. He's writing to people who know the gospel. So he's encompassing like this is the gospel and then this is how this applies to you now as a believer, yeah. not yeah. just here's the gospel and there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. that's It's like that's those good. next little steps. Yeah, for sure. So, and then I think in verse 8, he transitions um, kind of back verses 8 through 9, and he's really letting us understand the source of sin. So I think that he's really trying to understand that, get us to understand that sin is not from Jesus, it's not from God, but sin is actually from from Satan. So he's really trying mm-hmm. to get get it across to us to say, and and it was almost for me as I was reading it, it was a reminder of Genesis chapter three, mm-hmm. and 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 almost I don't know why, but I was reading it, it kind of took me back to Genesis three and visualizing, you know, the serpent, Satan. Um, tempting Adam and Eve yeah. in the garden, and so it's just re- is this reminder for me of like, hey, remember Genesis three. The source of sin is not is not from God. It's actually from us, and from our rebellion, and from our own desire to be God in our lives. And that's really why Satan fell. That's really why Satan was in the place that he was in. And then in verse ten, he gives us kind of a litmus test uh, for fruit, <laughs> I guess. A litmus test, if you're unfamiliar, is Probably back in high school science class, you were testing the acidity of water or pop or whatever, and you put like a little piece of litmus paper in whatever, and then you, you mark the acidity by it. And I think for me, there's a couple of these in here, and we'll get to the second one. But the first one is in verse 10, and he just says, this is how we know who are children of God right? This is really, and so he says, whoever's living out God's plan, whoever's living out God's, (laughs) whoever does what is right is God's child, and whoever doesn't is not. And so it's kind of this thing, one, again, we can't get to this, like, hey, you have to be perfect. You have to get everything right all the time. Like, there's no no room for failure. Like, there's plenty of room. There's plenty of grace. But what he's saying, I think over time, we're going to be able to understand Who's the children of God and who's not? And I think we have to remember, because I think a lot of times we put ourselves into verse 10 and we're like, oh no, am I on the line? Like, Mm -hmm. am I? But we have to remember the context of of this book, because he's dealing with people who were being led astray into false teaching mm-hmm. who are saying we don't have to live the way that God's designed. We don't have to live. And I think what John's really doing here is kind of saying, like, here's the divider line. People who are following God's plan, who are following God's commands, those are the people who are children of God. Mm-hmm. If they're not doing what scripture says, if they're not doing what the Bible commands, then we know that they're not, they're not of God. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of helping them understand that this is how we discern who who are children of god
1: yeah and i love that it's um the focus is like nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister that little additive at the end of just like (laughs) by the way don't just do this like in your own actions like there are plenty of actions that don't necessarily look like they affect the people around you you could make that action and it could be a good one or whatever but if we don't treat our brother and sisters with the same amount of respect and love that's the the little like additive that i think is a lot harder than we um would like to admit as christians and i think is probably something that they were struggling with just as much as today's christian and
0: churches so then um john kind of transitions into this interesting, it's very interesting, 11 through 15 are really interesting for me. Um, But he transitions um, back to saying like, we should love one another. And then in verse 11, we should love one another. I think he's trying to get his point across. It's like moms with their parents or your parents when you were kids. It's like, why don't kids like each other? And you're like, (laughs) yeah, we do. We just beat each other up all the time. Like, What do you mean this is
1: love? (laughs)
0: Yeah. So I just think it's so interesting. Like, Back to back, he's he's talking about our love for one another. And we've talked about this. It seems like this is a reoccurring theme, right? Like right, right through. And then he kind of launches into this like, uh, how, how, I don't know how to describe it, but basically like object lesson. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. remember this like story, story in time. the Old Testament? And so he talks about Cain and Abel. And, and I just wanted to kind of just take a break and kind of go back to, to this, because I don't know if if everyone would be familiar, um, but when he's writing this in verse twelve, it says that he's talking about Cain. And when he's writing this, it says, "I, I just want to read this quote because I think it helps explain it really well." It says the author has in mind Genesis four one through twenty five, in which the account of Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, is found. Cain was angry because his offering was not accepted by the Lord whereas the offering of his brother Abel was accepted. In his anger, Cain planned and carried out the murder of his brother Abel. It may be inferred from Genesis 4, 6-7 that Cain's offering was not accepted because he was an evildoer. In this text, the Lord, following his rejection um, sorry, of Cain's offering and be, and before Cain murdered his brother, he says, God says to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right will you not be accepted but if you do not do what is right sin is crouching at your door it desires to have you but you must master it. So that's this basically the author John is writing he kind of not I think he throws back to Genesis chapter 3 and when he talks about sin but then he really throws back to Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4 and he's trying to set the stage for what's to come here in the other in the following passage. But he says that, but why did he murder his brother? It's because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And Mm -hmm. so, because his actions were evil, he started stewing with anger, Mm -hmm. right? And so, he ended up murdering his brother in Genesis chapter 4. And so, he kind of throws back to this, and then he just throws down in verse 13, (laughs) (laughs) because it says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And it's like, whoa, whoa, why would you <laughs> talk about Cain and then and then all of a sudden um, start talking about the world hating us? And I think he really did it because he wanted to, us to understand that the world is going to hate us. Mm-hmm. And if we follow Jesus, because because of Satan's uh, intentions with sin, because of evil hearts, the world will actually mm-hmm. hate us.
1: Yeah. And I, I like that it's It kind of points out that this is, it's nothing new. Like this is as old as time, like the the opposition between Satan and God himself and the nature of sin and God and then our personal human experience with sin and our own actions and that kind of retaliation against righteousness that God calls us to.
0: Yeah. And I actually think when I was reading this as well, I was thinking about when Jesus actually said this, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> you know, Jesus actually promised us that it said, don't, you know, the world's going to hate you just as it hated me. Yep. And so it's actually promised it's, from um, Jesus.
1: In our sandcastle series on our YouTube yes. channel. Uh, Shameless <laughs>
0: plug. Back <laughs> if you to sandcastles. <laughs> let's go. We'll just start that series over again. There Everybody will love it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I think, uh, I was reminded of that, and it was just like one of these things like Jesus promised us that, and we've seen mm-hmm. it throughout Scripture that if we follow God's plan. But also I think in the context of what they're dealing with, the cessationists, the people who are teaching false teaching, would have been hating them for not believing right. them, for not following their ways. And so I think it was, I, for me, it, I kind of tried to put myself in, in the reader's shoes and say, it, I almost feel like it might have been a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. like why they would hate me like why would those people who who say they follow god actually hate me mm-hmm. and and so for me i was like i wonder if they were like oh yeah that yeah. finally and makes that sense that is proof of their their yes they're on the right, of path. God's right path. right they're on the right path of those people right and i don't mm-hmm. think we can uh um, make up all of this stuff <laughs> like i think there are people right. in the world that are like i'm getting persecuted and all this stuff we have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. But if we are following God's plan, there will be, there will be a time where we're persecuted from our faith. Yeah.
1: And even just environmentally, it's gonna f- you're gonna feel the opposition between the way that yeah. you want to live and the way that the yeah, world pulls absolutely. against that. Even if it's not necessarily like this verbatim someone being like attacking the way yes. that you
0: live. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, uh, and then at the end of this, I think uh in verse 14, he actually gives us another litmus test. Right, so he he fi- he finishes up and says, if the world hates you, don't be surprised. But then he says, he we know that we have passed from death to life. So he's like encouraging people, if you're if you're receiving persecution, don't be surprised because we know, like you have a firm foundation in your salvation. Mm-hmm. And then he says, because we love each other, anyone who does not remain, who does not love, remains in death. And so he's really kind of wrapping it up and saying, this is the litmus test. Our love for each other determines like the fruit of our life. And then um, kind of goes on to, in 15, uh, to talk about the heart of the issue. Yeah. So I think that um, he talks about whoever hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Now, if I, like, I I think logically you look at that sentence and you're like, "What? that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But then you go back (laughs) to... Uh, you go back to what Jesus and he was talking about, you've heard it said, do not murder, but if anyone hates someone, hates someone, in, someone in their, their heart, heart. Right. then you're guilty of murder. And so I think John, I wonder if he was writing, as he's writing this, he's thinking of Jesus yeah. sitting down teaching this, and, and, and he's kind of, again, bringing us back to say, the heart of the issue is not necessarily only our outward actions, but it's actually our our inward heart attitudes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so if we have hate within our heart, that we have to understand that it's it's not from God.
1: Yeah, my uh, study Bible had a good little like additive to verse fifteen, and um, it is very closely to everything that we were just talking about. And one line in it that I like is that it just says Christianity is a religion of the heart, and I think that's just a good like simple simple perspective. Um, to be able to view this whole uh section of scripture is just like John's taking a moment to say really look at your heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really great and that and that wraps up. Uh, I think wraps it up really well. So, well, if you have any questions um, about what we talked about today, we would love to hear from you, and uh, we hope that you've been loving the, the series on First John. If you miss any of the messages, you can go ahead and go to our YouTube page, and if you miss a podcast, you can go back and check out 1 John 1 and 1 John 2 and the first two episodes of the season. Thanks for listening to the Encounter YA podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this series and be sure to check out our show notes for additional resources.